we now have these uh, things which are virtual try-ons where you can put it on and lo and behold, they can see themselves online, see exactly how they look. People have said to me for a long time, that will never work. Never believe the word never. Wise words, never believe the word never. I'm going to keep that in my heart and in my mind. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. Leonard Lauder, the chairman emeritus of Estee Lauder, is known around his company as chief teaching officer. And for good reason. After a spell in the Navy, in 1955, he joined his parents' fledgling beauty business. From that quiet start, he forged a great partnership, including his late wife Evelyn and their children. As the brand turns 75, Leonard Lauder has written a book, The Company I Keep, My Life in Beauty, published by HarperCollins. Apart from discussing his latest volume, he will also tell me how much he learned from his mother, Estee Lauder herself, and how he built a special connection with philanthropy and with the world of art. Leonard Lauder, who lives with his photographer wife, Judy, is going to tell us how he made Estee Lauder the general motors of the beauty business with multiple brands and product lines and multinational distribution. And does the current beauty boom in tough times have parallels with the earlier post-World War boom? Or is it technology which has encouraged us to buy makeup online whilst we're all stuck at home? Let's hear from Leonard's own lips how Este set the standard and how he has taken it to the future. Um, Leonard, I, I'd like to start really by asking you about the most important thing going on at the moment. This book that you've written, The Company I Keep. Um, and I love that double meaning so that it could be or is the enormous beauty empire founded by your mother, Estee Lauder. Or it could stand for all the people you've known during what you call my life in beauty. What was the story that you yourself set out to tell in this very personal book? Well, that's a very interesting question. For many years, during my mother's entire lifetime, uh, and, and that, was, that was a long time, people would say, oh, Esther is so lucky to have you helping her in the office. <laughs> and uh, But in truth, there were three partners, Esty, Joe, and Leonard at the beginning. Okay? And each mm -hmm. one of us had our own work to do. And uh, my parents were away most of the time. I, I was running the com company. Uh, I was setting family, family compensation, et cetera, et cetera. However, the inspiration of all was Esty, and she is the one who set the standard. By setting the standard, we all worked hard to meet that standard. 
So we were partners. Now, at the same time, I would also say, you can't do that. She says, but I'm Esther Lauder. I said, yes, but I'm mm-hmm. Leonard Lauder. Uh, so, for, for example, very early, I think I was at work uh, maybe six months, not, not even that, in the company. And uh, she said, you know, I think I want to change the fragrance of youth to because I think I can make it a little bit different and it'll work. I said, you can't change it now because people like it. All right, I won't change it. If she had changed it, who knows what would have happened. Later on, when we were launching Clinique, she said, I want to call it Esther Lauder's Clinique. I said, you can't do that. Yes, I can do that. I said, if you call it Esther Lauder's Clinique, it will not achieve the same purpose. I'm Esther Lauder, and I'm Leonard Lauder. She gave in on that. But the fact remains is that we were partners. And the challenge, of course, is partner with your parents is one thing. Working, having a family life with your parents is quite another thing. And we managed to bring it all in perfect balance, which is amazing to me. I'm so interested in what you say, because the other side of looking at it is that, dare we say that you brought a manly, very intelligent, very serious plan to the things that were being done, and that uh, your mother, Este, saw all the time that she wanted to change things, she wanted to refresh things. She obviously sensed the fact that women were being liberated, and so she wanted a different view. But you wanted, naturally, to keep what she had, because you can't throw it away. No, I don't think that's quite the right interpretation. We were always refreshing, always. However, uh, sometimes you can't refresh. For example, if she wanted to change the fragrance of youth do, you can't do that. On the other hand, if you want to come up with new shades, new packaging, new this and new that, you can do that. These are not written rules, these are just rules from the heart. I, look, you, you go to favorite restaurants from time to time, if, they, if, if they're open, by the way. Uh, if they have a new chef and he changes the recipe of a favorite dish of yours, you can tell it instantly and, and you won't go back there. Certain things have, have got to stay the same and certain things have got to change. For example, I don't know what the toothpaste you use, but let's say Colgate toothpaste, red and white. That's it, red and white. You can't change that. You can't change the flavor of the toothpaste, but you can change everything else. So what can you change and what can't you change is probably the biggest challenge. I'm very intrigued by the fact that you seemed at such a young age to understand what your parents were doing and wanting to join it. But then you went off to a completely different life than being in the beauty business. So tell me why at that stage that you decided that you wanted to go to the sea. Well, firstly, I'll tell you what, our company at the time was tidy. It's my parents and three employees, that's it. I needed leadership training. My parents could not give me leadership training. I knew that. So I joined the US Navy, went to officer candidate school, and became an officer in the Navy and, and served aboard an aircraft carrier and a destroyer. There I learned leadership, and I also learned that I was good. Because how can you feel that you're really good if you're working with your parents? 
Whereas if you're working for the U.S. government, you're working for people who don't give a darn about who you are, but if you do a good job, you know you're good. And that's where I got my self-esteem and self-confidence from. And relatively soon afterwards, you rejoined your parents. And um, what do you think you brought out of the job that you had been doing, everything that you'd learned? You said, I, I saw this wonderful quote in the book, that you wanted to make Estee Lauder the general motors of the beauty business. That's quite a demand. Well, listen, it's not from the standpoint of size, but understand this. General Motors had, at the top of the line was Cadillac, and the bottom of the line was a Chevrolet. And they had different cars for different price ranges and for different demographics. I saw the world changing. That's because also I traveled as a very, very young person. I, I traveled to Europe when I, when I was in university, etc. You can't sell the same thing to people of different ethnicities, etc. So I saw that the world was changing in a way that no one could really see it. I also wanted to make it multi-branded because I wanted Estee Lauder to be the top of the market. But we could do other things. So Clinique, which was totally allergy-free, was different from Estee Lauder. And I tipped my hat to my mother. When we came to Clinique, she said, I want to make it allergy-free. I, I want to make it fragrance-free. And Carol Phillips, who I think you knew, Carol Phillips had wanted to put a fragrance in, in Clinique. And Estee said, no, I don't want that. I want it to be fragrance-free. So here was Estee, who had built, was building a great business based on a fragrance, wanted fragrance-free. And that's where this partnership worked so incredibly well. What an amazing vision that she had. I feel that you also must have learned so much from um, the company you kept at home. And um, I loved some of those stories about Estee Lauder when she gave little gifts to the um, lowest of the low salespeople and somehow made them on her side. And all her personal efforts when she set out to conquer London's Harrods store and said to the um, staff, don't do a thing, leave this to me. I love that idea. Well, listen, she was the best salesperson in the world and she could teach selling. And, uh, and so she sold it at the beginning in Harrods and the salespeople learned to love loved her and they worked so hard for her. And after the launch in Harrods, she made it a point that you probably know this, she spent every June in London, every June. And when she came back to New York, she would take a car every Saturday and she would go to a different department store and work behind the counter to teach the girls. That passion to excel and to win is the thing that helped us win, really. You know, Leonard, I've, I feel almost sad as I hear you talking so enthusiastically and um, I'm thinking of the great American stores with their all with a different personality. And um, the, the Lauder Company was developed in different ways, acquiring things like um, Bobby Brown and MAC Cosmetics. But look how sad it is now looking at these big stores. There's a shrinking of their names. And even if they had survived, so many stores have lost their personal identity. You're still the chairman emeritus of the Estee Lauder Company. 
Can you imagine a way to bring back the power of the city store that Este loved so much? Well, when you think about it, Susie, all the great stores in the UK and the United States also were all started by great merchants. Gordon Selfridge is one. John Lewis is another. For example, Jesse Boots of Boots. In, in the United States, there was John Wanamaker, there was Marshall Field, there was R.H. Macy, etc., etc. The merchant is the one who had the vision. I think what, what makes our company so great is that we've had the same hand at the tiller ever since the company was founded. The company was founded 75 years ago. I've been with the company 64 years. And why the department stores all around have failed is that they keep on changing management and they are public. There's no one who says, this is my store, as, as Gordon Selfridge did and as Jesse Boots did. Leonard, you had your wonderful wife, Evelyn Lawyer, who so sadly died of cancer a decade ago, and you built the beauty empire surely with her. How important was she in helping you to expand the business? And, and how's it going now? Are your sons and other members of the Lord of Family also contributors in the way that you've been? Yes, each, each was different. Firstly, Evelyn was my partner in life and in partner in business. You really have that. We traveled together all over and she could see things that I couldn't see and I could see things that she couldn't see. And, and she was also a great teacher and she was the first head of our education department at Estee Lauder, the first marketing director. And when we launched a clinic, she became the head of a clinic education. But all through this all, we were partners in life and the business was our life. And is this yes. also true? with other members of the company and of your family, because they're also going down to another generation, aren't they? They're going to, we're now in the third and fourth generation, and they are, they're all passionate. That's the key thing. Uh, so um, passion is our trademark. Um, I want to talk to you about passion, but an, another kind that you have talked to me a lot about. You're so modest about the work you do personally and with the company, but you have a special connection with the world of art. My favourite story you told me is how you've put together your exceptional Cubist artists from Braque and Picasso and that they will be ultimately left to the Whitney Museum in New York. That is extraordinary in itself, overwhelming. And yet at the same time, you have your postcards, 120,000 of them destined for a museum. I'm afraid there'll be nothing as compelling as all those Instagrams of today. I don't think they will replace the wonderful things that you have collected. Well, postcards were the Instagram of the time. There were some remarkable things. In, in the United States, they had trolley post offices and rail post offices. So I have some postcards uh, written on that says, I see you at lunch today. And they would mail it and, and, and it would get to the person in time for lunch. See you at lunch today. And so um, they were the instant thing. Now, there, there also were sort of the, the photojournalism of the time. 
And since I am sort of an amateur historian, I would go through the flea markets. And uh, as you know, I used to go to Portobello Road all the time. And uh, I'd find photo postcards uh, selling for half a shilling, something like that. Uh, and uh, which to me were very valuable to me because they, they showed things that no one who didn't know history would understand. To me, I love the concept of learning from what you collect. And I learned from what I collected in my postcards. I learned from my, what I collected in my art. But by the way, may I, a small correction. I did not promise my Cubist collection to the Whitney Museum because they're American art. I promised it to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Right. I made it a point, if you're the chairman of the Whitney, which I was, you shouldn't collect exactly what they're collecting because I, don't want, I didn't want to be in competition with them. Ah, uh, so I was yes, the chairman nice of the Whitney man. and bought over a thousand works of art for their collection. But I never collected American art because I didn't want to compete with my museum. Um, Leonard, we must talk about something else where you have been so generous, and that is the social and medical issues, especially since the passing of your wife. What are the issues that are really dear to your heart at this time? Well, what they are, um, I'm continuing with Evelyn's Breast Cancer Research Foundation and, and putting a lot of money there, and we are now working on the key thing, which is metastasis. People don't die from breast cancer. They die from the, the metastasis of something that is in the breast cancer that goes to either the, the bones or the brain. So that we are working on metastasis. And when Evelyn died, we started a separate fund just to work on this. I'm also involved with Alzheimer's, the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation. Because as you know, Esty died of that. Each time a member of the family had something, I said, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to prevent others from dying or being affected by the, the diseases that hurt my family. about now. You're no longer running the company on a day-to-day -day basis, but I know you well enough to know that you are not just um, <laughs> interested, that you're still very involved and that you must have been looking at the current beauty boom since the virus hit us all. Does this have parallels with the post-World War II boom? Do you think that you've lived through this before, the idea of lockdown and shutdown and war and other things? Do they really enthuse people to make themselves more beautiful and to buy beauty products? That's a very interesting point. The answer is yes and no. You, you know that during World War II, everything was in very short supply. Right after the war ended, that's when, uh, that's when the Christian Dior came out with the new look, if you recall that. Okay? Everyone was rushing to buy fashion because they couldn't really get it before. And, and that was the genesis of the fashion boom. In cosmetics, people are afraid to go to department stores. Firstly, the, the stores are now closed in many cases. If you walk down Madison Avenue in New York, hardly the stores open, and, and most of the department stores are closed. 
So it's all going online now. And therefore, you come up with different techniques to sell products online than you had prior to that. So that you have to change, and we always, we've always known how to change, because I may say one other thing. Hand-wringing and saying, oh my, oh my, is not a marketing strategy. If you see something, change everything and fix it. So tell me what your thoughts are about the current craze for celebrity brands and influencer brands. They pop up almost every day. It all seems a long way from your own company's slow build-up of Estee Lauder when you and your young wife squeezed into a little Manhattan home and worked away to get somewhere. It's different now, isn't it? Well, yes, because I think thanks to us, uh, it has changed from another standpoint. We were the first company uh, that started to buy other people's brands. We bought Mac, we bought Bobby Brown, we bought Joe Malone, etc. No one else was doing that at the time. Everyone says, oh, that's a way of getting rich quick. I can start something and sell it to Estee Lauder next year and make a lot of money or sell it to someone else and make, and make a lot of money. I remember way back when, I think I must have been about uh, 15 years of age, uh, when my mother came home one day and said, Charles Revson offered me a million dollars for my company. I turned it down because I wanted you to have the company. Smart woman. Of course she was a smart woman to see. <laughs> Thank you. And we built the company for ourselves and eventually for our other shareholders. A lot of people today are starting things so they can turn it over quickly and sell it to someone else. There's a different ethic there. To me, a slow build and where you have a loyal following and you have to support them is a lot better than in and out and in and out. I think that's the difference. Um, what have you seen, Leonard, that you really feel that excels during these past few months? I've seen that Estee Lauder can now connect with consumers wherever they are, whenever they want, because you have the um, beauty advisors online and you have the virtual try-ons, which is rather interesting. Tell me about that and the idea of it. Well, the idea of it is that, uh, look, if you recall, before this whole COVID thing started, uh, you would go into a department store or a boots or something, and you'd see lipstick testers open there, and you take one on, try it on, put it back, or something like that, or even to put it on your hand. You can't do that anymore because you can't transmit disease. But people have to see what it looks like. So, so that we now have these uh, things, which are virtual try-ons, where you can put it on, and lo and behold, they can see themselves online and see exactly how they look. People have said to me for a long time, that will never work. Never believe the word never. Wise words. Never believe the word never. I'm going to keep that in my heart and in my mind. At the same time, you know, I actually met your mother quite a few times when I used to come over to New York a long time ago now, it must be 30 years ago. And um, she usually started our lunch or whatever it was by taking a look at me. I had probably been up until two in the morning writing my stories for the International Herald Tribune. And um, I'd done my best with my makeup to make myself look good. 
And she usually started by saying, you look wonderful, but you look tired. And then offering and suggesting all the things I should do. You know, that's all so personal. I just don't know. Of course, it's interesting to look at things online. And there are some um, people in the beauty business who, who've made a huge amount of money, but also a, a huge impact. But can you really get a buzz when those fleshy lips on a flat screen? I'm looking forward to your answer here. Well, the answer is yes, but I have a hard time understanding how you get a buzz from anything. So, uh, yes, yes, you can, because at, at, at the end of the day, you want to buy something and make sure it's right. If it looks good on your skin, it's, it's okay. So the greater challenge is not with, lip, with lipsticks, but is with foundations, because you have to be very careful about the undertones. And there it gets to be very challenging to buy online. But lipsticks you can buy easily online without the buzz. If you can imagine it in your dreams, what do you think is going to be the great change in your world over the next 50 years, 100 years, as many as you like? Well, let's start off with what won't be the great change. What will not be the great change is that everyone wants to look attractive Looking attractive is still around. And even though uh, today, what they think about looking attractive may look, may look strange to us. But when I see kids wearing um, ripped up jeans, and, and the more ripped up they are, the more they cost. I don't particularly understand that. But beauty has been around since Cleopatra. And, and, and so that looking your best will always work somewhere. And our job is to have people look their best. Now, when Esty said, you look tired, she gave you a perk up. I could get anyone to look really good just by little things. Now, what Esty often did, she would take a lipstick and put it on your cheek like that. Put the lipstick at the, at the bottom of, of your um, cheeks to give you a little bit of color yeah. and uplift, yes. And, and by the way, uh, did you ever know Leo Lerman in, in the United States? He worked for Vogue. Not, not seriously enough. <laughs> okay, anyway, he had been a classmate of Estes in, in high school. And he said to me, she was always making women, her, her, her girlfriends, look beautiful. She would comb out their hair and fix up their faces. She got pleasure from that. And they got pleasure from it. People get pleasure from looking better. And I know myself that, that if, I, if I wake up without having enough sleep, I have to do everything I can just to look perky. Because if someone says to me, you look tired, I feel tired. Well, I think there are many people in this world, many, many people who have felt great in Estee Lauder's work. And keep it up, that's what I say. Keep it up and help all of us, whether we're in lockdown or whether we're going out finally for a night out, then Estee Lauder's going to be there to make us look our best. That's right, isn't it? Right. Now, Susie, listen, my directions to you is keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop for a moment, number one. And number two, when you write, you are a brilliant writer, and when you choose your words, it inspires people. And that as long as you are an inspiration to how many millions of women that you are an inspiration for, 
it will serve you well and them well. Don't ever think of retiring. If I hear that you're going to do, do that, I am flying over and taking you by the ear and getting you back to work. I tell you what, Leonard, well, let's do a deal. When you retire, I'll retire. Is that a deal? I don't know. If, I don't know if you live that long. <laughs> look, 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 I'm sitting here. At, I'm sitting here. At, this is my desk in the country here. Look, we're still working on things. See, isn't that cute? Put it up a little bit. Can you see it? Okay. I can see it, but I can't see what it is. What is it? I'll, I'll tell you what. It is. We made this for something here. Yeah. This is a solid perfume. In, in a little Florida package, look at that. Oh, oh, how beautiful that is. It looks like a piece of something that you would want to display. So, so that, you know, I, I never stop. I dream about products. I dream about things. And the people around me also do that. And we, we all love what we're doing. The people who work for Rescue Lauder call themselves lifers, not life imprisonment, lifetime employment with Rescue Lauder because they get better and better and better, and we all love what we're doing. So whenever uh, I'm looking to hire someone, I ask a question which sounds funny, but it really means something to me. Does she burn? What does, does she that burn? Mean? Does she burn? Does she burn to write? Does she burn to design? Does she burn to create? Does she burn? And I, I remember early on, I was interviewing someone, she said, well... I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. That's not burning. Burning is say, I want this job because I think I make a difference. I tell you one thing. When I first started with Esculator, we had a very hard time getting people to buy our products because the people, they, you know, we were just starting. And, and I remember going to see the, uh, the cosmetic buyer of a store in, in Brooklyn. Abraham and Stress was called. And he de- wouldn't even look at me. He sat with his back to me, cleaning his nails. <laughs> Waiting. <laughs> How rude can you get? Well, uh, not much worse than that. Waiting for me to say something dumb. I sat there. I said nothing for about two and a half minutes. Then I said, I'm here because I think I can make you a lot of money. He turned to, to look at me and said, How could you do that? Now, th- this is showing the partnership between... SDM myself, and I explained to him, he says, well, okay, but I'm going to have to ask my boss, and you think you can get your boss, my boss, to meet your boss, SD? I said, sure. So I set up a lunch, she closed the deal, we, we made it work. We were a great partnership with my father also. And working with the family was the best thing that I've ever done. And, and, and I love it. You're a good advertisement for um, working for, what have we said, 63 years? Or was it 64 years you've worked with the 64 company? 64 years, yeah. So you see, this is my working uniform here. See, it rolled up, and let's get to work. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you. It's wonderful that we, of course, want to see each other in the real world as we do with everybody else. But the chance of meeting like this is a joy for me. And you're so fascinating. The book is fascinating and you are fascinating to talk to. Thank you so Thank much. You, Thank you. Now, can you tell me one thing? Tell me about the photographs above you. Uh, above the bookcases. Um, above the bookcase, it's Erte. Do you know the work of Erte? 
I've found that he, it's something that I love having. In this case, it's, you know, it's all the numbers and all the details of them. Yeah. But um, I've got an awful lot of things. I'm, I'm not one of those people who has a home with nothing in it. Me neither. If, if, if I could, I'd show you everything that's hanging around the walls here. I think you have Audrey Hepburn yeah. hanging behind you, don't yeah, you? I have one hanging behind me, but this is some something else. When I promised my collection to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, that was the New York Times, page one. Wow. So you and I are the same. We keep our life around us because we love life. Exactly. Anyway, Leonard, it's been wonderful talking to you like this. I feel as though we, you should be asking me whether I'd like a cup of tea or I could ask you. But um, I'm afraid we'll have to drink our cups of tea on our own. But it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Susie, when this COVID is over and I can come over to London, we are going yes. to see each other. And then all, all the, all the, all the rumours are going to go floating around. Leonard Lauder and Susie Menkes. What's going on with the two of them? <laughs> You're probably, I'll tell them that, that we're both writing new books. <laughs> Good for you, Susie. Thank you, darling. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye, darling. Bye. Leonard for your meaningful words and for sharing your wisdom. It was a joy to hear how you worked with your mother Estee Lauder to make her company expand into a successful family business known all over the world. I enjoyed hearing how you grew your love of art from going to London's Portobello Road to buy a postcard for half a shilling and to donate your Cubist art collection to New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art and how you are also involved in social and medical causes with your foundations for cancer and Alzheimer's. Your life in beauty looks as though it has a long way to go. Next week, I shall be talking to acclaimed contemporary artist Sterling Ruby, who has taken the art world by storm, and now the fashion world too. He's just shown as part of the official Haute Couture collection in Paris, for the first time with his SR Studio, LA, California. He'll be talking to me about the clothing brand he's created alongside his artwork, developing garments from the same handworked fabrics featured in his art pieces. A really big thank you to all my listeners. And if you like, you can rate and subscribe or even leave a review. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels.